Last week, we officially welcomed Kira Kershane as the business manager at Lakeside. She started working a couple weeks before that, and I met Kira back in the fall. Uh, she was working at a, at a friend of mine, uh, with a friend of mine at another church, and so just got to meet Kira that way, and through the process of, of talking with her and, and talking with my friend, they mentioned a conference that was coming up in Florida, and they asked if I wanted to go to a conference in Florida in January, and the answer is yes. And I, you know, I don't know what the, con I knew what the conference was about, but it, you know, that was not the selling point. The selling point was January, Florida. Uh, so, so I went, and, and as we were there, I, I remembered shortly after landing uh, that I forgot something at home. I forgot my easy pass at home because Florida's a, a, a wonderful state that has tolls everywhere you go on their roads. And I do not carry cash. That is well documented. I, I don't carry cash. I heard many lectures from my father about the importance of emergency 20s and everything. I, I just, I still, I don't carry cash. Uh, and so we got there and all of a sudden we're in the rental car and we hit our first toll booth, and we said, who has money? And uh, Kira had money, which was good, because Sean and I didn't have money, and then we just kind of looked at each other, and, and Kira had money, and so we, we paid the first toll, and then we're like, all right, we should go to the ATM, and we should get some money, which we did not do, because we forgot about it. And then as we're heading to the conference on the first day, we get to another toll booth, and Kira's like, all right, guys, who has money? And we're like, uh, you do? And she's like, yeah, I do. We're like, thanks. And uh, so we paid the toll, and, and we're going along, and everything was fine until we got to the exit, which we needed to take to get to the conference. And there was not a toll attendant, but there was a basket that you had to throw exact change into. And this was a problem. Because we did not have access to the exact change that we needed to have. It was 75 cents. And so I just put the rental car in park and just started looking everywhere. And Kira is digging around in her purse. And we're like, you've got it. We know you've got it. We believe in you. And uh, we're digging in our pockets and everything. And the toll is 75 cents. And we came up with 58 cents after being parked there for three minutes. So then the question is, do we just throw in the 58 cents and go? What do we do? And we're like, let's do that. So we threw in the 58 cents. I waved at the camera. I'm probably now a fugitive in Florida. I don't know. And I just kept going. Half a mile down the road, Kira moves her purse. She says, guess what, guys? had another quarter. <laughs> it was sitting on my leg the whole time. So I'm now going to jail because of our new business administrator at Lakeside if I ever revisit the great state of Florida because the quarter was there the whole time. This morning we're going to talk about one of the most difficult passages in scripture to break down. And there are a lot of rich theological implications. There, are a lot of, there is a lot of benefit for us in a practical way in which we live our lives this morning when we look at this passage. But it's incredibly difficult. We're starting something today called the cost of our salvation. And make no mistake, salvation's free. It's God's free gift to us. That's what grace is. Grace is God giving us a gift that we can't earn and we don't deserve. And that's what salvation is. 
But just because it's free to us, make no mistake, it was incredibly costly. And over the course of the next few weeks uh, leading up to Easter, we're going to look and we're going to investigate the cost of our salvation. And today we're going to see well before the trial of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, we're going to see the immense cost for God himself to come and take on human flesh. The incarnation of Jesus to be fully divine and fully human. And we're going to look this morning at the book of Philippians chapter 2. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. Once you've installed it on your device, you can follow along with us within the events feature. You can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. If you have a traditional Bible with you this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you're joining us via the stream, thank you so much for joining us. For those of you who are in Florida right now, maybe go pay 17 cents on my behalf somewhere. I'd appreciate that. And no, it's 42 degrees here today too, so you're really, I mean, a little warmer, but it is a beautiful winter that you're missing out. But the verse will be available on the screen below for you as well as we look today at the incarnation of our Savior, Jesus. Philippians 2, verses 1 to 2, we read these words. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Be like Jesus. If there's any encouragement in Christ, and we know that there is, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, and we know that there is, any participation in the Spirit, we know that the Spirit is active and He's working, any affection and sympathy, complete Complete my joy, the Apostle Paul writes, being of what? Of the same mind. Of the same mind. Be unified. Having the same love. Be loving. Being in full agreement. Be agreeable. And of one mind. Again, demonstrating unity. This is how the church is supposed to operate. This is it. That we are to be a place where we love one another. We agree on the main things. And we can have disagreements, but we have an agreeable spirit. And we recognize that there's something greater than us. And we can disagree on some things, but the things that we agree on are foundational. And these are the things that unite us and bring us together. So that even in our disagreement, we can disagree on things without being disagreeable. Why? Because first we love each other. And then we say because we love each other, because we're following the example of our Savior, we are going to be agreeable and we're going to be united. We're going to be united. We're going to operate in unity. And this doesn't mean that we all have to have group think and it doesn't mean that we can't think for ourselves and have our own perspectives. But what it does mean is that we are willing above all to operate these three ways. Lovingly, in agreement, and being unified. That we aren't going to try to stir up dissension. We aren't going to be difficult just for difficult sake. But we are going to operate as a place where you find love and agreement and unity. 
That is what the church is called to do, following the example of Christ. And how do we do that? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Value others. Value others and consider others. And we, we read these words and they sound wonderful. When somebody else has to consider us and somebody else has to value us. I got, I got to do some premarital counseling this week. And, and I got to talk to a young couple of, about some things. And, and one of the things we were talking about is, is learning how to fight and fighting well because you're going to have arguments in your relationship. And you can't just bury those down, but you have to learn to fight fair. And you have to have, you have, to have really relationship rules that are going to guide your disagreements and are going to guide how you fight when, when you have a disagreement and, and make sure that you're, you're fighting fair. And was talking with them about that and, and just gave them an example of, when one person wanted fish and another person wanted steak, how do you navigate that? And of course, the loving answer that every couple comes up with before they're married is, well, I'll just defer to the other. And I'm like, that's great. And what after four nights of deferring to the other and you just really want that steak and you never want to see a piece of salmon or taste a piece of salmon again and your spouse wants salmon, then what do you do? See, it's great in theory. And I got to coach him through that, which was awesome. Friday night, my family and I went out to dinner. We went to a restaurant that I chose. After the restaurant that I chose, we went out for dessert. It, it was a night. We just treated ourselves. It was great. The food was great. The dessert was great. The, it, was, it was a fun time to spend with our kids. It was awesome. Yesterday, uh, and I, I picked all of it, loved it. It was wonderful. It was great. Yesterday afternoon, my wife comes to me, and she's like, I'm really in the mood for Chinese food. I'm like, we can't eat Chinese food. What are you talking about? We went out for dinner last night. We're, you know, we, 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 I'm not in the mood for Chinese. She's like, so we're not getting Chinese? I'm like, why would we get Chinese food? We just went out last night. We just, we, we did this. Had a little flashback to the premarital counseling session. We ate Chinese food last night. Helped save my marriage last night. <laughs> so we, we, we understand this in life. We understand this in relationships. I did not want to eat Chinese food last night. I wasn't in the mood for it. There are times where we get our way. And if those are the only times that were pleasant, if those are the only times that were bought in, if those are the only times that we're excited in life, then we've missed it. Then we've missed it. Because what we're called to do is to value others. And not just as an idea, but in practice. To count them more important than ourselves. And what would happen? What would happen in a church? And what would happen at your job? And what would happen in your family if every decision that you made was made this way? That's what Jesus calls us to do. 
This is how Jesus calls us to live. But at our core, something we all discover if we get married, and certainly if we have kids, we discover just how selfish we are at our core. In looking at our Savior, we recognize that if anybody could have been and should have been selfish, if anybody should have gotten their way every time they wanted it, it was Jesus. But he sees just the opposite. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for many. The Apostle Paul continues, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He says, so look at how Jesus lived and live your life this way. You think you're a big deal? Look at Jesus. He is God, and though he is God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And this is why this is such a difficult passage theologically. This is why this this passage really causes us to, to really understand baseline what this means does this mean when when it says jesus emptied himself does this mean that he ceased to be god when he was born of the virgin mary is that what's being is that the idea that's being conveyed here well we know certainly not we know not that's not the case so what does it mean to be when when it says that jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men it doesn't mean that jesus ceased being god it doesn't mean that jesus didn't have all the access to every part of his divinity but what it does mean is that jesus willfully set certain aspects of his divinity aside not that not that he lost them not that he gave them up but he set them aside he another way to think of this is he veiled them so that they couldn't be seen by everybody they were there they've been there forever because jesus is god which means he is eternal and he has just like god the father god the son jesus and god the holy spirit three distinct persons but they all come together to make up the tri- the trinity the triune godhead God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're three distinct persons. So God the Son, Jesus, is he's divine. He's always been divine. He's always had every aspect of divinity. And yet, when he came to this world, when he was born of the Virgin Mary, when he took on our flesh to be fully God and fully human, he set certain aspects of that divinity aside and didn't utilize those aspects in full display. So he emptied himself. Divinity took on human form, full God, full humanity. And when we think about the cost of our salvation, the place we have to start is right here. The incarnation. 
that God would humble himself and, and go, through, go through a lifespan with our limitations. To choose to come and to take on our form. And then the Apostle Paul goes on. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus coming to this world, even if he would have had the most wealth that, would, that you could ever imagine, if he had the, the best mansion that you could ever fathom, every gadget that's ever been invented, if he lived whatever your dream is for the ultimate life, if Jesus lived that, we still cannot fathom the level of humility that it took for Jesus to come and take on our form. And yet, even that is not how Jesus chose to live his life. Jesus chose to be born in an insignificant town. To parents, God chose parents who weren't wealthy. Who in terms of Earthly recognition had no significance. Who weren't in positions of power or prestige. They're just normal people. Jesus starts his ministry. And he doesn't go to, to all of the, the top schools and pick out the greatest scholars. Finds random people in everyday tasks, some of which hated each other. And it brought them together to follow him, including one who would betray him, who would sell him out. Ministered for three years. Sometimes to grateful people, sometimes to ungrateful people. When the crowds were large, and there was no following to see. He put himself in position to be slaughtered, to be beaten and abused. One of the most vicious forms of death this world has ever seen. That's the mind of our Savior. That he humbled himself in human form, and not just to be human, but to willingly go to die for us. And to go through life and experience all the things that he experienced. I don't know everything that you're facing today. I don't know everything that you're going through. But I know that you have a Savior. If you have a relationship with Christ, you have a Savior who understands the emotions that you're experiencing. Who understands the pain that you're going through. Who understands no matter what you're experiencing. You have a sympathetic Savior because He has chosen to walk 
in our shoes. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself. He humbled himself to take on human form, full divinity and full humanity in display in the God-man Jesus. He humbled himself to come to this world, and not just to come to this world, but to come to this world to die for our sin. He came to redeem our rebellion. So that what? So that God now has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that what? It is above every other name. There is no name greater than the name of Jesus. It is above every name. And here's the deal. At that name, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Whether it be this life or after your death. When you face judgment, you will bow at the name of Jesus. I saw the internet lose its mind last week after the Grammys. Uh, people were like, oh, Sam Smith and some satanic ritual. I, I didn't watch them. I've got better things to do with three hours of my life than watching an award show. I feel the same way about the NFL honors. Like, let's tell each other how wonderful we are and broadcast it to every. That's cool. Whatever. I, I just don't want to spend three hours of my life watching that. But I saw the Internet just completely melt down last week after the Grammys of, and, and both sides. Both sides. People are like, that's super satanic. People are like, you don't understand art. You know, whatever saw both sides of the internet just completely melt down and it brought out just the worst of, of everyone as it so often does and and make no make no mistake about this i know i know some people right now are really frustrated because you look at our society and you look at the world in which we live and you see that there's a, a lack of respect for god you see that there's a, a lack of of true worship you see all of these things and you just wonder god what's going on and make no mistake about it one day Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. And what I would just invite you to do is use the time that God has given you. Not to argue. Not to debate. But to lovingly pursue. To lovingly pursue the person that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus. And to share with them the hope of salvation. Why would we expect people that haven't experienced the hope of Christ to act and to live their lives in a God-honoring way? But the beauty of our Savior is that He came. He humbled Himself that we could have that hope. And it's time for all of us who have a relationship with Jesus to recognize that hope and to live with that hope in our lives. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. It's not a question of if. 
It's not a question of if every knee will bow. It's not a question of if everyone will acknowledge the name of Jesus. The only question is when. And for those of us who have that relationship with Jesus, this, has to, this compels us. This compels us to use the time that we have to share this hope. To proclaim the name of Jesus. To proclaim the hope that we have. And to share this hope with a, with a world that's so desperately in need of it. People are losing their minds. We got balloons flying everywhere. And last night, people were like, there's UFOs over Montana. Like, we don't even know what's going on. And people are losing their minds. Talk about, talk about a situation that is ripe for you to live with hope and to be, be showing people the difference in your life. But this world has uncertainty. This world is broken and it's flawed. We have a Savior. We have a Savior. And we know how it ends. And every knee will bow, but the question is when, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself. He took on our form. He lived his life. He came to die to set us free. And the questions that we have to answer is, first this, what are we living our lives for? What are we living our lives for? Is it because we're trying to build our own platform? Is it because we're trying to be a big deal? Because if that's the case, then we've got to look at the example of Jesus I'd invite you to do something else. I'd invite you to live a better way. I'd invite you to be focused, instead of on your platform, to be focused on love. To be focused on agreement. To be focused on unity. And this doesn't mean that we just throw truth out the window. Because again, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is, this is foundational to who we are. It's a result of that hope that we have. That we can live with love. That we come together as individuals, and we serve a greater purpose collectively than we do individually. And that is the church. That is the church to come together and to be the hope for the region. That we come together, we gather, but we gather to scatter. We come to love each other. We come to encourage each other. We come to challenge each other. But then we scatter to have an impact at our, at our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families. We are people of love and we come together and, and we agree on, on what we can agree on and we can disagree on things without being disagreeable because the spirit of unity guides us and brings us together.
because we remember that others are more valuable than ourselves, following the example of Jesus. That Jesus came, and he came with a purpose. And what was his purpose? Our salvation. If you haven't experienced that in your life, if you find yourself stuck in your sin without hope and without experiencing forgiveness, then in a minute I'm going to pray, and I would invite you, if you've reached the point where you're like, God, I need you, I would invite you just to, in, the, in your heart to repeat the prayer that I'm going to pray. Not that there are any magic words in the prayer, but it's an acknowledgement of who Jesus is and what you need in your life. I would invite those of you who have experienced this hope, who've given your lives to Jesus, if you haven't taken the next step and to go public with that, I'd invite you to be baptized. We, on Easter Sunday, we're going we're gonna to pull the, the baptistry out again, and, and we're going to have another baptism. So if, you ha- if you've made the decision to follow Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I can't encourage you enough to take that step. To let people know the decision that you've made. And this morning, we're going to sing another song. And as we sing this song, you're going to have the opportunity to take some elements. And we would just ask you to hang on to those. And then I'll come back out after the song and we'll take these elements of communion together. As we remember the broken body of our Savior. The blood that was spilled. Because there is a cost for our mistakes. There is a cost for our sin. And the cost of our sin is death. And Jesus paid that price. We're going to look at that over the course of the next few weeks. But before we start there, let's remember the cost of divinity. Humanity meeting together in the incarnation of Jesus and the humility that he demonstrated and how that should impact each and every one of our lives. God, we thank you for humbling yourself. coming to this world to save us. I pray, God, that we would be people who embody love and agreement and unity. I pray that you would use this church in a powerful way in this region. That we would be salt and light as you have called us to be. God, that you would magnify and amplify our efforts. God, that you would work through us around us and in spite of us. That you would meet us in our limitations. And God, there you would take over so that we could, we could look at the results and, and we just shake our heads and say, there's no way we could do this. Look what God did. Thank you, God, for coming to save us. I pray for the person that's here today and and watching the stream who's just stuck in their sin. 
and needs to experience forgiveness. And I pray in the quietness of this moment, God, in their heart right now, they would just make that decision to give their life to you. God, I just would invite them to repeat this prayer. God, I've blown it. I'm a sinner. And I've fallen short of your standard. But I know you're my Savior. Because your son Jesus came died on the cross for my sin. Three days later, he rose again. So I can be set free. I want to live for you, Jesus. Take over my life. Let me follow you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.